When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving Iron Podcast. I got Rich Possum back here again. And Rich is with Critical Point Podcast. Great podcast. If you guys have a chance to take a look at that, go out and listen to it. Rich, how you doing this morning, man? Very good. Thank you, Casey. So let's talk about your podcast a little bit, Rich. I, I get your uh uh the stuff that comes out in the morning, and and I'll tell you those uh those quick seven to ten minute hitters that you got out there that just kind of give a quick, you know, hey, here's the grains, here's the Here's the yep. oil, here's the this, here's the that. Those quick seven-minute things are chock full of great information. So talk a little bit about your podcast, where they can find it, and kind of what you're covering. Okay, so the Critical Point podcast, you can find it at Critical Point Pod uh, or Critical Point dot podbean.com. Now, that's the hosting site of just the videos, audios. There is a place to sign up there. But if you want to know more about myself, these modelings, then you want to go to Critical Point Pod dot com and that's my personal website and it does link over to the videos audios you'll still find those anyway and then you can also on twitter you can find me at rich underscore uh possum p-o-s-s-o-n and you can contact me that way or contact me at rich at ag-financial.com that's my email 
And uh, basically, the Critical Point podcast uh, puts out morning briefs, uh, one of them on the grains, one of them on uh, economy, mostly stock market, but I will throw in interest rates, economy, gold, oil, other variety of things. Try to keep as brief as I can, get right to the point, pack in as much information as I can. We put out alerts for the more important sell signals, buy signals during the year for some of the commodities, some of the and stock market indexes. And then I do a weekly update that can be as much as uh, 45 minutes long sometimes. Um, and sometimes I even call that a monthly update. And that's just looking at anything and everything in the grains. And then there's a separate one for the stock market where we get into long-term discussions like where are we going this decade and into next year. So, um, and I prefer to use videos to show what I'm doing. Uh, years ago, yeah, I used to write the 20-page newsletters and have the archives so people go back and look at newsletters. And But you need a lot of people to do the edits, make it all look pretty and nice. And I just find that if I can draw on a chart and show them model signals, it raises confidence in saying, you know what, let's give this model a chance. Uh, so I pretty much have I write very little these days, okay? Uh, I rely on the podcasting, uh, uh, audio and video. and So much easier. Yeah. Yep. So it's like the lazy man's uh, newsletter. I tell you there that you <laughs> Speaking from a guy that lives on shortcuts. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rich, as you're, as you're taking a look right now, what's going on in the world? We had um, the Fed had a meeting this week, got together and said, all right, we're going to stop with the interest rates for a minute. And But I promise you, don't get used to this because we're coming right back to it. Um, <laughs> they didn't really say when or say how, but it was like my dad telling me, keep it up. And this is what's going to happen You know, when I was a kid. Kind of what it felt like after I, when I was reading that. So <clears throat> um, I guess, Rich, as you look at that, what's this mean for the market now that we've hit this? They finally you know, the, the the stock market has had been waiting for the moment, you know, and, and had been you know buying in and putting in to their algorithms that, hey, this is the one where they're going to stop. This is the one where they're going to stop. Well, they finally got it. So what's that mean for the market now, Rich? And what's the reaction right now that you're yeah. seeing across the board? I really like Wall Street's uh, take on this. And, and this is more on the media side of things. But uh, they're saying uh, the Federal Reserve gave us a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde moment. And what that means is, sure, on a near-term basis, they said we're stop raising uh, rates, and this is the market was betting on it. It was putting the mm -hmm. stock market up into that meeting, and uh, but I then turned around and said, yes, uh, but we may raise one or twice more later uh, this year. In fact, yeah, you're right. They they kind of pushed it as as they will, yep. and uh, so people are saying, what is that? You know, there's some big shots on Wall Street saying that if that's not confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and and right. I was I was so hopeful. I was telling subscribers as we was going into the meeting. I said, "You know what the model's saying th th that we're due for a level four setback. The level fours are only interweek, sometimes only interday during the day. They're not that useful information unless you're a very very fast trader." And I said, "What this is implying is the Fed Reserve's not going to give us enough negative information to knock the stock market down." And then when I saw that results of what what they said. I thought, uh-oh, is this something more serious? But you know what? Yeah, the stock market dipped, and then it came back, and then it went to a new high for the year. And this morning, I don't know where we're where we at this minute, but looks like it still wants to go higher. The model was right. That, that event that had been so serious, if you look at every Federal Reserve meeting all the way back to February or March of last year, they've been so serious, the market just knock it down by huge amounts. And yeah, it would come back sometimes. But, you know, it's... um. 
It's just fascinating that I think the marketplace, at least for the stock market, and I'm now thinking the bond market is thinking the same way. They really don't want to listen to the Fed anymore. And they're just saying, we're over and done with you. Okay. And I think they figure one way or the other, uh, the Federal Reserve will lower the rates. And this was another thing that scared them at first because they made comments they might not lower rates for two years. <laughs> and everybody assumed they would be lowering by the end of this year. Yeah. So they would they would stop now. And then lower in just a few months. And they were implying, no, we might not do that for two years. Well, if they ever held out for two years, we'd probably learn the free market rates went down. And I just had a sell signal on interest rates, therefore a buy signal on bonds. It's working. It's looking okay right now. I think that backs off into July. I think the stock market is going to like that. But I can see that it's possible interest rates really won't go down all that much this year. They'll go a little lower than this, but they could move more sideways as they wait on the Fed. But the better long-term forecast is interest rates, at least for free market, is rates are going down into late 2024, if not 2025. And that's interesting. It also coincides with an inflation forecast of lower into 2025, forecast with real estate forecast to be lower into 2025. It's forecasting commodities to be lower into 2025, other than the grains might have a little bit of a weather issue this year or not, or next year. Uh, so everything's looking good, even though the Fed kind of gives us this weird uh, scenario. And uh, I think uh, I think ultimately they're kind of blowing smoke. They won't raise later this year. If they do, it's it's going to bother the stock market very briefly, and that's about it. Okay, eventually they will give in. I mean, this inflation stuff, that true inflation site, which granted some people pick on them because they've been off the mark sometimes on the monthly government numbers, but you got to realize they're they are a leading indicator of inflation. That's down to two point three four percent. The government just lowered to four percent. I'm convinced in the next three months we see the government go below four or uh, down towards three percent. So it's working. So that's now, their goal, right? And their goal two percent, but they, they yeah, the they, three, they, right? they they want to get it down to two percent. And right. what's what's a little upsetting is they kind of act at times that they're saying they'll just keep raising rates till they get two percent. Well, that's nuts. Okay, and I even wrote just before the Fed Reserve. I did write a column for someone, and I just simply said, I think if the Fed raises in June. Uh, you're going to see political conspiracy thinking, are they trying to destroy the economy on purpose? And so uh, I was pleased. That, coming out. Yeah, <laughs> they may be pushing a bit, but I, yeah. you know, but it is interesting how they they played it. They kind of wanted, they, they kind of, I think they felt like we better not disappoint people right now and not raise. But at the same time, they, they want, they, they're just so slow. They just want to make sure they have the best evidence ever that this inflation is not going back up. And, and there will be bounces to concern us. Uh, the inflation fluctuates just like the stock market, all other data. Uh, I don't doubt it's dropping too fast when you look at true inflation and some of these other measurements we use. Yeah. There will be some recovery. But I think we got it. I think we won. And it's fascinating. There's even people who were in the transitory thing, you know, a year and a half ago, and then they gave up on it. Now they're saying, you know, if you look at the definition, it just simply means it's not permanent. And they just said, you know, we're waking up. This is was transitory after all. Well, I think most people are sick of that word and <laughs> because yeah. it's it's really everybody's personal definition, you know. Yep. So um but I'm pleased what the Fed did right now. I don't like what they said for the future, but the modeling is saying 
it, it shouldn't hurt the economy. And I'm over and done with all these people saying a recession's coming. And this week, I saw the greatest evidence I've seen in quite some time of the people who have been looking for recession and are backing out. And uh, and some of those have been delaying it, delaying it. And they said they couldn't give up. Now they're giving up. The bears in the stock market, they lost $18 billion just in one type of fund type trader, a bunch of funds, uh, just in the recent weeks with this run up in the stock market. And uh, there's more of that to come. And they're changing their tune. And there's plenty of cash on the sidelines of this stock market to go to work. I think even the small individual investor who sold all the way down last year, trying their best to get back in, not miss out. Meanwhile, I realize some people would say, well, that could be just a psychological thing. And will the economy really support that? Well, I say, yes, the GDP uh, and PMI indicators I use as a clue to GDP, uh, they're just going to improve later this year. I'm very, uh, very confident. So my modeling is discounting the Fed working against us here. Um, and the model really likes the fact they didn't raise rates this month. And I think we're going to be okay. I, I think these rates work lower uh, into 2025, frankly. And I think the inflation will stay down, but there will be little moments to concern us. But uh, the model been bullish for the stock market since March and since last October, which was the low of the year, lowest price of the year of last year. It's been bullish into July, and it looks like we got it. I just, I think there's more upside from here. I, I can't argue. It might slow down. I can't argue it might stall out on us because we've already had a nice run up and it could be short term overbought, meaning it has to back off. But my fundamental valuation is, is not that far below the stock market and it's rising. So the stock market would normally stay above that fundamental valuation, fair valuation, uh, if it's a bull market and it's doing that. And I believe we are in a bull market. So I'm looking for higher prices next year. I'm looking for higher prices most of this decade in the stock market. And I think we're on track. There will be fluctuations and scares and corrections and setbacks. But I, I think we got this. A pendulum has uh, has swung. And uh, I noticed by Wall Street's definition, when the stock market's up 20%, they assume it's a bull market. Now, a lot of people make fun of that. I know I normally make fun of it, too. It's too rigid of a thing. <clears throat> but it did meet it. Just as my model got the last piece of evidence it needs to say a bull market. In other words, we I called a bull market. Let's see, it bottomed October 12th. I think I called a bull market within five days after that long-term bull market. It's been working for us. And I said, I got all the evidence I need, but if you want, you can consider the higher, higher it goes would be additional evidence. And we had an objective of uh, 43.25, and uh, it took that out. And so we're pretty... Feeling pretty comfortable with that. And it was interesting. We also had the next target of 44.25, and it, it stopped there yesterday. It closed yesterday at 44.25. Uh, again, I can't rule out some setbacks along the way, but I, I got to be bullish here. Long-term, intermediate term, uh, shorter term, I'm going to give it a chance into July. Um, it we'll look out for maybe a little slippage there, maybe by August, early August or something. But I think one way or the other, this market uh, moves higher into the end of the year. What I can't tell people is there's two camps. One is it's going to move up somewhat. That's it. And the other camp is this thing's going to explode. Well, I also have scenarios in between that. And so I'm less concerned when we get it right how high it goes going into the end of the year. I'm just looking at the overall direction and the time of it. 
And I'm pretty confident with that to, to be bullish. I don't, I'll tell you what, an asteroid could hit this planet and I think it's still going to be a bull market. Maybe, maybe not for a few days. <laughs> a little, little recovery time there. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> may crash and but it'll come back up as I, I, it looks that good. And I've been at this for 30 or 40 years uh, live real time with this kind of modeling. And then this modeling, what it's done is we've back tested going all the way back to the entire history of the stock market, the entire history of this country, GDP, all kinds of measurements. And it's just, it just works well. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes you think, gosh, can this be right yet again? It's not looking good. <laughs> and then, and then you find, and even sometimes I don't have enough faith to stick with my model. I'll say, eh, I'll back off a little here. Next thing I know, the model is right. So, um, and the model isn't right every time on every little thing, because we look at many different fluctuations. I mean, I tell people whether we're going to have an up day, down day, up week, up, down week, same for the month. But I'm also looking at those trends. Where are we going for the year, the decade, that kind of stuff. Anything from very short term to very long term, I pack it into my podcast. So Awesome. All right, man. So this this kind of leads into another discussion that I've, I can't get my head wrapped around. I know there's a lot of geopolitical things that happen with, especially when we're never going to talk about oil. So especially talking about oil, I mean, if there's anything more geopolitical than oil, I don't know what is, but looking at the oil market right now, it, it doesn't matter what's said in the, in the media. It doesn't matter what OPEC says. It doesn't matter what the Saudis say. It doesn't matter. It fluctuates between, 68 and 77 and it settles back into 72 or 73 on whatever news is is coming around there um looking at the strategic world reserve um the biden administration has the the absolute best opportunity on the planet earth to make the best trade in the history of trades but they keep passing it away and for whatever reason they keep they keep passing it off there to to refill the uh strategic oil reserve because if i'm if i'm doing my math right in my head it's like 25 dollars ish almost that they would be uh, when they went short if i remember right because it wasn't it something like 85 or 90 bucks when they bought it and they're going to buy it back in at 70 and it's been 68 or 69 a couple times and they still <laughs> they haven't yeah. bought one barrel of oil yet so i guess so looking at oil rich why is it so stagnant and even with Russia dumping oil on the open market and doing what they're doing and those kind of things. It's still just there, right? It's just it's yeah. not going anywhere. There's nothing changing it up. What What's the deal with the oil and why is there not a big movement there? And why is it so stagnant? Yeah, we've hit an equilibrium and a supply and demand here. It's like mm -hmm. we can't, can't get that supply to overpower and drive it down by a huge amount. And that was a message sent by Saudi Arabia. As they were just saying, we got to do something to at least keep it from going down. And you can see OPEC wasn't really in full agreement. Saudi Arabia went on their own on that. And uh, uh, but at the same time, demand isn't strong enough either. I mean, we should have seen a better perk up uh, pickup in uh, gasoline prices here going into summer for the summer driving season. It's just not there. Uh, so the Americans have kind of chilled out on how much driving they're going to do. The free market system has picked up on this. And it's just making it difficult to go up. So it's limited for the moment. Now, normally when a market's moving sideways, if you see volatility measurements turning quiet and it's starting to do that, you have to be prepared. That's going to wake up one way or the other. So volatility will pick up someday and someday we'll see a swing lower or higher. My modeling as of this week is actually calling a buy signal just for an, <clears throat> one of those intra-year trades. Um, I do think it can pick up a little bit here in the next 30 days or so. 
but it, the model's saying it's not going to move high enough to cause a problem for the economy and our stock market forecast. <sighs> Excuse me. So I think um, I'll, I'll give the bulls a chance here, but I think it's still like a short-term trader's market. There's just nothing going on here long-term to drive it higher or lower. I'm pleased with these prices. The model likes these prices. I think Saudi Arabia, when they did what they did, uh, just a few days before that, even I wrote a column. Others were writing columns that, hey, the you know the market uh, made a mistake here long term and is going to extend the long term bear market and it's going lower and lower, maybe even to next year. And I think the, the Saudi Arabians picked up on that. Not necessarily my article, but they picked up on those ideas flying around and they said we got to do something about this. So to me, their efforts really just helped create a floor price, and that's it. As far as the government, I think the government's trying to be careful that they don't put the price up a huge amount just because the government's buying. So they're trying to keep it quiet. I wouldn't be surprised they're already working on it, getting it done. I think they'll do well enough here. Maybe not. Maybe they'll screw it up. Hey, we all have our trades that don't work for us. But uh, if they pull this off, yes, a fantastic uh, fantastic trade on the, on the government side here in terms of that oil reserve. And uh, they should be able to get it done. I just don't see a major run-up in oil right now. Uh, I do think we might get a little better bounce in oil and maybe other commodities next year. And maybe that's also going to take up inflation just a little bit. But my guess is it'll be right back down by late 2024 into 2025. I don't see major risk of a big up move in inflation and commodities and uh, especially for oil. Uh, gold's looking the same way. I may be proven wrong in the next uh, three months. Other than that, I think gold goes lower, also into late 24 to 2025. I think it's lost the uh, pro-inflation uh, type of buyers here. And uh, not only that, we may see something fascinating the way the interest rates are going to work, that if the Federal Reserve kept their rates sideways for quite a while and the free market went lower, uh, we may see the way that's a setup is not necessarily a good thing for gold, uh, especially if inflation moves as low as it appears to be going, it could wind up but actually higher real rates and wind up with uh, hitting something here uh, for the gold market. So I'll at least say I'm pretty confident gold market is not going up a huge amount. I might not be so right on the bearish stance for a while, but I just don't see anything happening there. Um, the dollar has, uh, we were looking for a sell signal last couple of weeks. We think we got it. And this week, boy, the dollar index fell quite a bit. So feeling pretty comfortable with that. I like it. Uh, I think the model is right. Now, it can bottom in just a couple of weeks, but here again, I don't necessarily see a lot of downside in the dollar, and I don't see a lot of upside. I think the dollar is sending us a signal there's less risk to our economy, but it doesn't want to go down huge amounts because it doesn't see the inflation building, not yet anyways. And my stock market model loves all these things. <laughs> it's saying, got to be bullish. Uh, everything on the outside market is working for it, and uh, so we'll stay with that scenario. Uh, but yeah, on the oil market, like I say, I, I fully understand how it can bounce here uh, short term, but just not picking up the signs of any kind of major uh, like long term bull move here. And I just don't think demand is, is strong enough. And at least a moment, like I say, it's in an equilibrium. That's why we're moving sideways. But that won't last forever. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so you don't see $100 oil anytime soon is what you're getting at. I don't. I think, you know, I can't rule it out this year when you look how quickly uh, commodities can change their mind. But uh, that might be for next year. And even at $100, well, on $100, I'd start to get nervous that it can hit the economy a little bit. Stock market might not be happy about that. 
but I don't I don't think it's an outright bearish thing for the stock market though. But it yeah. might kind of it might slow our economic growth a little bit and kind of hurt the consumer just a bit. Uh, but below $100, so here we are. I think on the futures, we're only about 68 to 70 right now. You know, I mean, that's a big move up to 100 before we get ourselves into trouble. And, yeah. uh, so I can give the bulls some room here, but it feels like it's really a short-term trader's market. They're going to buy it for a few weeks, sell it for a few weeks. Nothing, nothing significant. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the whole world kind of in a, in a, in a nutshell here. Um China's not had the 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 sprint out of COVID that the rest of the world saw. That they just they're not they're not seeing that. Um, I get I guess in your opinion, as you look at that, what's what's the delay there? I mean, why you know the United States came out, we had this big boom. Um, Europe to some extent came out, and they even had a big boom. I mean, they had they had things that started moving, and that's you know inflationary issues that we start seeing right now. But it just doesn't feel like. Um, you, I get the same. I don't see the same thing out of China. I guess. So, what's your what's your thoughts there? And am I off base, or am, am I am I right? Am I seeing the same thing that you're seeing? I guess. But what what's that slowdown that I'm feeling coming out of China? And why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think we will see China improve for the rest of the year, but I'm not so sure. It's. I don't think it's going to be a big recovery. I don't. I think the government has still got a problem that they could care less about having a great stock market. They could care less about a super high GDP. They've seen their real estate where they did too much of it and got a blowout in real estate, and they want to protect themselves from blowouts. So I think they got an attitude that if they're not as good as the rest of the world, so what? Um, however, they have done some things. They've done a little money printing here and there, and a little bit differently, and it doesn't show up on the radar screen as much. But they've done something to make sure the economy doesn't deteriorate, and they realize their war on COVID has hurt them, and they're just trying to make sure it doesn't hurt more. And they're trying to work their way out of that COVID. But all that COVID fighting has kind of, you know, it's upset their people too, where they're a little nervous. Uh, how much do I want to expand my business? Do I want to start a new business? Do I want to buy stocks? Things like that. So it's also the people that uh, they're really not that aggressive there to create that growth. And I think net they'll get net growth. The indicators, I think, are improving. I just don't know if they're going to prove slowly. They're going to prove fast, somewhere in between. Uh, stock market, same story. It looks like, to me, it can go up into next year along with the U.S. and the world. But I wouldn't be surprised it's going to be the sluggish one. And let's face it, we still have the political issues, the trade issues going on with the U.S. and China. I think that's probably going to improve, too. But I think the world, and specifically the U.S., do want, does want a different way of doing business with China. They're not going to, and, and that's going to hold China back. I mean, they made a lot of money with the fact that the the world was willing to trade so freely and not, and the world was less concerned about themselves. So they were just happy to do business with China, you know, and their happiness is kind of slid a little there. <laughs> so, uh, but I do think in the next years too, we're probably going to see some resolvement of some of these trade issues and I think it's going to be all right. As we look later in the decade, China will be doing pretty good, I think. And uh, and we'll just take it from there. I Globally, uh, I got the same forecast for global GDP economy to grow into next year, along with the U.S. Uh, stock market-wise, I follow the global Dow Jones index. It is biased more to the U.S. because it's the bigger market. But it did stall out. It rallied better than the U.S. In fact, it was rallying when the U.S. was going down for a while. And then it stalled out for a few months. And that was primarily because Europe did so well. And we have 
Germany and France that the people look at them as a little bit socialistic. They assume their stock markets don't do so well, and they were wrong. Stock markets did great. In fact, France did better than Germany, and they're probably more socialistic than Germany. And uh, I do think the European markets, and I just told my subscribers here yesterday, I think they're those markets have more upside into next year. I want to be cautious. Globally, some countries might stop going up by before the end of the year here and won't participate on up move next year with U.S. And I'm fine with that. I think it's nothing more than the other countries are getting kind of high priced. People are going to start moving money out of that, some money, not a lot, over to the U.S. And I was fascinated this week. I realized it was only one day, so maybe meaningless. But I just happened to look at my dashboard and see all the European countries that follow were up in the stock market or down in the stock market. And the U.S. was actually up. And at that time of day, the U.S. was up so strong, those countries should have been up. That would have been normal behavior. And so I decided we may be seeing that, that they're starting to get high price in Europe, taking a little profits. And I wonder if some of that money isn't moving into uh, the U.S. stock market now. So I think the U.S. will begin to not only catch up, but outperform uh, Europe and the world. But as I look at the entire basket, I got to be optimistic and bullish the economy and the stock markets for the world. Right on. Okay. Well, I think there's a, a lot of moving parts here, Rich, when you take a look at what's going on. And, and like usual, um, you and I have been started doing this back in 2019, if I don't I'm not mistaken, and we've never struggled to come up with anything to talk about the whole time that you've been on the show. So there's there's a lot of stuff moving around. Um, one last topic, I guess, as you're taking a look at what's going on with um, kind of some of the grain movement and some of the stuff that we've seen so far um, with the U.S., we've seen some good opportunity here that there's going to be a big drought. There, I guess there's a developing drought in the central grain market or central grain uh, belt uh, of the United States. You look there, you look and see what happened with Brazil and they had some record crops down there uh, this past year. Not as good as I thought they were going to be, but they were still very, very large crops. Um, assuming that this is the year that we have the huge drought and the big um, uh, crop uh, issue that we saw um, as you take a look at your grains right now, what are your thoughts there? And, and what are some of the, short-term and long-term effects of, of a of a major crop problem in the U.S. right now, and that, what that could do to the overall grain markets. Yeah. Uh, so recently, uh, what it was the lowest price last couple of months here, model called a bottom. And I said, you know, we got to be bullish here, uh, have some faith in the model. Uh, maybe this market rallies into July. And uh, we would normally do that from a trader's perspective, regardless of the weather. And we just assumed it's a time for more demand and supply. But I said, you know, you might get seasonal demand added on top of that. You might, uh, which right at the moment, uh, the model saying actually demand isn't that great. It's really just people getting excited in the weather. But anyways, at that time, we said we don't see any weather issues here, but the market can move up and then the weather issues come in. And uh, we're seeing that kind of pattern uh, take place. But I also said, hey, we're down to the deadline years of a cyclical crop problem that occurs once a decade and it's either this year or next. And I said, there's other people using cycles that claim we're due for something far more important, something like the 1930s Dust Bowl, you know, 90-year cycle, 100-year, 89, whatever. And that doesn't really fit that well with my model. The model said 2012 was a very significant cycle, super cycle, and it's not time for that, that you're probably going to have to wait the next decade. But I don't want to rule out 
something more significant here. I've I've researched their cycle. I think they don't realize their cycle was in 2012, but it's kind of new to me to study that specific cycle. It's not my model. And I think uh, there is that possibility of strike. So I'm just warning people, I may get new statistics that there's more upside than I realized. And I'm not going to say I'm wrong because I'm bullish. I'm going with it to be safe. And we'll just be more right. And hopefully we'll come up with those higher and higher targets and be on top of it if it turns into that. But for the moment, I'm a little concerned. We've got a nice rally going here. But as we get through the summer growing season, we find eventually that weather is okay. Maybe yield comes down a little bit, but it's not the hit that everybody thinks. I'm a little suspicious it's next year for the crop problem I'm looking for. I'm also suspicious it's not going to be one of the more serious ones for the history of that type of, of climate issue and weather issue and crop issue. Um, so a little reluctant here to being a bullish, but I'm bullish. And uh, I'm going to head. There's we banked some money here, and and I, I think we're going to just try to keep working with it. It woke up this week here, gave us a little short term additional uh, signal to the upside, but is it really going to work out that way? Because um, at the moment, and this could be a big mistake on my part. On the moment, I'm thinking if we're going to take a good national hit in the yield, I think it's got to go beyond the corn belt. And I thought back my prior years of trading grains uh, from my own farms and businesses back then, as well as my own pocketbook, all the way back to early 80s, the 83, 84 drought, I was involved in that back when I really didn't know what I was doing, but it worked. <laughs> but I uh, I, uh, I think you got to have drought conditions in Pennsylvania and New York. And I realize most people don't even pay attention to those two states. But I think you got to have that. And then obviously you need the Eastern Corn Belt, Central and the West, I think, to really make it national. Well, I was shocked here maybe two weeks ago. We suddenly got, was it two weeks or one week ago? I forget now. Um, the Jewish drought monitor map really was not showing anything in the Eastern Corn Belt, nothing up in New York. And all of a sudden, bam, got all this yep. dryness. And then, uh, you know, last week it came out and it actually showed drought, moderate, moderate yep. drought. In yep. Pennsylvania, up in New York. Meanwhile, I was watering 800 trees or 700 trees by my by hand because we haven't got our property. Uh, didn't get right. my well. I got my well drilled yesterday, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so we were hauling it out of a stream up a hill, a little tractor and a tub and water by hand just to try to save trees. And we actually did lo lose a few. That's how quickly it hit New York. Yeah. We had we had New York farmers producing hay primarily, saying we're holding off on sales. We don't know if we're even going to have a second crop. It was that severe that fast. But I got to tell you something. It's looking fine today. That quick of a turn the other way. And we got mm -hmm. rains coming. We got rains coming in the next four or five days here. And our trees are looking better and this and that. Now, that may go away. Western New York didn't even get those rains, though. Okay. Wow. And uh, so I, I'm just concerned. Could this be fickle? Where we've, we've got a bit of a crop problem this month, maybe to early July, but... I remember in the 80s working with some professionals on the floor in Chicago uh, trading. And I remember we had a year where we didn't think it could be a crop problem, but we had to play for it anyways. And then I remember the pros saying, if it rains on July 4th, give up. And it rained July 4th. And boy, they gave up. Yeah, I tell you. And they were right. It just well, it was the best. So I'm keeping that in the back of my mind that this could be the year for that cyclical crop problem. But you know what? There's not enough evidence, even as today, even though I see that drought monitor map, I know it can get you excited. I don't know how much to trust this, but I am bullish. I don't want to miss out on it, okay? And if I make a mistake and don't flip back to berries fast enough, so be it, I'll do it. 
but I don't know how much to trust this. I can definitely visualize this market maybe up in the July and right on down into harvest, you know? And uh, I'm very convinced grains will be lower in 2025 with commodities and inflation. So, you know, if we're going to have these cyclical crop problems, <laughs> we better get it going. It's either this year or next. And I do think even uh, the reason some people are asking, why, why aren't grains even higher than this? They're waking up this week, but shouldn't they done better than this? Well, I do think there's people saying that they have a rule of thumb that if it's not La Nina, be very suspicious of we- of a bullish weather scenario, and even more so if it's El Nino. Now, some people will tell you, uh, I think you've probably had some people on your podcast, uh, that actually can have a crop problem in El Nino, but I'll tell you, the rule of thumb of the industry yeah. is assume, assume you have a good yield yeah. when it's El Nino. And, and I don't know where we're at on that because I thought we were in El Nino. And yesterday I'm reading this article saying, no, we're not. We're just getting very close to it. Barely so, tipping our toe in the deep end of that pool. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so uh, yeah, this is going to be very interesting. Uh, I think we are in some kind of weather market. So boy, these grains can be up one day down the next and by big amounts. But um, I'll give the bulls a chance. Let's just see whether things deteriorate here and things get get drier okay uh we're due for it this is just a little bit different than what i've seen in in 40 years of my uh, personal experience you know and uh i I can see where it was there and then it wasn't and let's just keep that in the back of our minds (laughs) right on yeah that's uh it's like everybody can see it but no one's wanting to buy into it yet because we're supposed to be in an in a an el nino year and and that's that's where um that's the hard the hard part of of where we're at everyone's still banking on the el nino to come so and and that could yeah that could keep things up a little later and and Mm -hmm. and you could see like a two to three week period of just a straight up explosive market as the market finally wakes up (laughs) darn it (laughs) it's there but that that fast move can also create immediate blow off and even if we have a significant yield drop in yield you could still see prices back off in the harvest yeah and then we'll have to figure out where we're going next year you know and so it's 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 tricky i could see where we get a little bit lower yield this year and then the real crop problems next year and take us even lower and i could see where in the end we actually bounce yield uh a few a couple of bushel and corn more than than last year and then the crop problems next year but again we, we can't rule it out hitting this year and uh i don't think it'd be as devastating as some people think I don't, i'm not going that route but i'll follow it the best i can and make yeah. what we can out of it you know yep so. yep all right good stuff rich um one more time where they can find your podcast okay go to criticalpoint.podbean.com that's the uh, videos and audios and you can sign up there but also go to criticalpointpod.com and that's a website about myself i do a little blogging once in a while and then there's links over to the videos audios as well but there's explanations of uh, what we're doing for, uh, with the modeling there and uh, you know check out uh, you know tweet me at uh, at rich Un- underscore Pawson, P-O-S-S-O-N, or email me at rich at ag-financial.com. And as a quick little wrap up here on economy side, I really think we need to chill out a little bit on this. Uh, anybody who's talking negative news, they're not in timely manner. They're not in line with these business cycles. I'm looking for two and a half percent to four and a half percent GDP for the rest of this decade. That's good enough. That's a wide range. You might think, well, does that mean if it's only two and a half lousy stock market? No, the faster thing is the stock market is going to be bullish no matter where it is in that range. 
And I think we see inflation get back towards the Fed's 2%. Still not convinced they get what they want over a long-term basis. but uh, And we'll get pops in inflation from time to time. But the model's saying better write it out at the stock market. We'll probably still uh, be bullish no matter what. So uh, so I got to be optimistic and I'll just manage a risk, though. <laughs> right on. All right, Rich. Uh... Appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I really like it when you come on here, and we will catch you next month, man. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information from Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, and all the information is there. If you need more information, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. Or if you have a question for Rich or anybody else that's on here, you can send me an email there, and uh, I will make sure to ask that question. Uh, if you want $50 discount off of the, your Moving Iron Summit uh, registration, be one of the first 150 to sign up, and you'll get that from the folks over at Axon. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Let's move some iron folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century.